1: Mary is a 45-year-old African-American woman who comes in today for her yearly exam. She's concerned and confused by the many recommendations on whether she needs a mammogram. She's mostly worried because recently her friend and her aunt were both diagnosed with breast cancer. On the other hand, one of her friends told her a very different bit of information about when to start screening than what she believes. What are we going to recommend today for Mary? Joining me today is Susan Feeney, the coordinator of the Family Nurse Practitioner Program at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, Graduate School of Nursing, and Jill Terrian, director of the Nurse Practitioner Programs at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, Graduate School of Nursing. Welcome, Susan and Jill. Thank you, Frank. Thanks, Frank. So, poor Mary um, has quite the quandary. She has both friends who are telling her one thing and family members who are suffering with breast cancer we received a new guideline from the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists that stands in some degree of contrast to what the other large organizations say. So what I'd like to do is begin by looking at these new guidelines from ACOG and then let's compare it to the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force and the American Cancer Society.
2: The American College of OBGYN, or ACOG, their, their their recent guidelines are very thoughtful, and they thought about they really talked about strongly about shared informed decision making, working with your with your patients to come up, look at the evidence, look at their risk factors uh, for breast cancer, and come up with a plan as you know sort of individualized. But they um, all of the the agencies that we mentioned talk about clinical breast exam, mammography, when do you start when, how often do you do them, and then when do you stop. ACOG basically said that, uh, as far as the the clinical breast exam, um, they still advocate for it, and they say it may be offered um, every one to three years for women 25 to 39. And then they agree that it should be annually for women 40 years and older. So that would be the exam that the provider does. Um, Mammography, they believe that it should start at 40. And that um, between 40 and 49, you know as if the patient desires so that if someone for some reason or their low risk wants to wait until later on in their 40s that might be something that might be reasonable for them but they say absolutely no later than age 50 uh, if they have not had their mammogram already and then they believe that it can be yearly or every other year again based on risk and your informed decision making and then they believe that you can stop at 75 and to, to continue beyond that would be based on, you know, longevity, the activity of the of the woman, and again, really intense, informed um,
1: decision-making with your patient. Great. Jill, tell us about the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force.
3: Sure, Frank. So I think in just listening to Susan talk about ACOG, you know, these guidelines have a little bit different things to say, but they're also a little bit the same. Um, so, as far as a clinical breast exam goes, they say that's insufficient evidence for or against. So that really leads it up, leaves it up to the provider and the patient in their shared decision making. Um, as far as mammography initiation, um, they recommend at age 50 to start screening. Uh, however, between ages of 40 and 49, you may start screening mammography um, earlier and it should be done on an individual nature. So again, assessing their risk factors um, for that. As far as mammography screening interval, they say every other year. They don't go on to say anything further about that. And then as far as a stop age for mammography, um, they really don't find sufficient evidence to say stop at 75. They're really looking at the person as an individual, if they're a healthy 75, um, because we all know that as your age increases, your risk of getting cancer does increase as well.
1: I'm going to cover the American Cancer Society recommendations, and I want to remind the audience that the American Cancer Society, unlike ACOG or the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, is an agency that does a great deal of community outreach as well as funds a great deal of research. And so they have a bit of a, of a different take on, on the data that's present, and, and maybe one that I think we should have a, a slightly a curious mind, but not necessarily one that uh, drives my care. They do not recommend clinical breast exam, which I find surprising. Now, the reason they, prob- they don't is that there isn't data that shows it's beneficial, and there's a bit of tiny bit of data that shows it can be harmful. They do recommend that you initiate mammography screening, or at least offering it to patients beginning at age 40. And through age 40 to 45, recommend it and offer it, but don't necessarily uh, push it. After age 45, they recommend it to be done on a yearly basis, till age 54. And then at age 55, they recommend doing a mammogram every other year and not stopping until you believe the patient's life expectancy is less than 10 years. So they've got a very, very broad range, probably the, the most aggressive range with regard to mammographic screening, um, and uh, certainly a very strong view that um, finding a cancer and addressing it is going to lead to improved outcomes, which we know may or may not be true. Well, thank you for, that, for that, that comparison and contrast. Can you tell me a little bit about what makes a person at high risk and how we use that in our informed consent decision-making with our patients? Susan. Um,
2: sure. Um, the ACOG guidelines talk about women of average risk and then women of high risk. And women of high risk, that would be someone you'd want to screen more regularly, maybe annually. And so they have quite an exhaustive list, but the ones that we think of most, par- most um, sort of importantly, would be nulliparity, or a woman who's never been pregnant, uh, or who's never breastfed. We know that those are risk factors. Uh, as women age, um, and 98% of, of cancers are breast cancers are found in women. So as you know, being a woman and having increasing age are the greatest risk factors. Um, higher body mass, we know, is associated with that. Alcohol consumption, although they really haven't given us a an amount of alcohol that makes you at greater risk. We know smoking, and and then there is, you know, there is a little bit of the hormonal therapy with estrogen and progesterone um, for for menopausal women. Women who are just on estrogen alone actually have a decreased risk, which was interesting. It was the combination of estrogen and progesterone. Um, so. Um, so women who have these risks would need more regular mammography, um, and women of low risk would be someone who, you know, had none of these these uh, risk factors, uh, which is tough because, you know, there these are quite it's quite an expansive list, and as people age, they're going to start risking in to this list. Sure. But it's important. I think what it makes us do is we really have to have this conversation with our patients on what are their risk factors and what are the harms and benefits of mammography.
1: Well we certainly know one in three US citizens have a BMI that's over 30 right. so now we're talking about at least one in three women are going to be at high risk and then we add in the smoking, the alcohol consumption, um, the risks get very concerning. Um, Jill and Susan both, two of the risk factors of concern are having dense breast tissue on mammography and women who are of African-American descent. Can you talk a little bit about those as risk factors and why they're different than some of the other issues? Okay,
2: I'll talk about the dense breast and, and I think as a primary provider, this is one of the most frustrating things you see on mammography, right? That having a dense breast makes it less sensitive the mammography and it's not that I my understanding is it's not that the dense breast itself puts someone at risk is that it's hard to get a sensitive mammogram with that and so women who have dense breasts um, and I think the recommendation at least locally from various provi- uh, surgeons is that this might be someone who would be monitored by a breast specialist to have their mammography done in a structured exam, but that they might need an MRI or something like that to have, the, to, to have um, a better sensitivity in examination.
3: Yes, and so in regards to um, African-American descent, so you have to look to the social determinants of health, you know, when, when do these women have access to health care and screening mechanisms, um, and that might lead them to a later diagnosis at a later age, which is, can be concerning.
1: Yeah, I think the, the delay in diagnosis is the, is the big issue, and we know it's related to the health disparities that come from decreased access to care. Well, I want to end this discussion with our personal thoughts. Um, uh, Jill, certainly let's start with you. Um, what do you think about clinical breast exam, and when do you normally start screening women?
3: So, I usually talk about breast self exam in my college health population, which is where I'm currently working. And actually, you know, if I'm talking about birth control and I'm talking about women's health in general with them and knowing their body, I'm talking about them knowing their breasts and being aware. So certainly clinical breast exam, I do with my um, pap smears, and so which is the recommended age of 21 or older depending on their uh, risk factors.
2: And, and I, I agree with, with Jill. I usually start uh, breast exams um, in the early, early adolescent uh, young mm-hmm. woman And part of it is also it's a modeling behavior that you can make them they're not afraid of their breasts, that they understand that they will change with the cycle and change as they age. And one thing that ACOC did point out is even though they said that clinical breast exams, um, the evidence is a little bit um, not as clear, and they do recommend every one to three years, they talk about breast self-awareness. And I think that comes from looking in the mirror and understanding how it looks, so if they see something, the thing that we do need to be aware of is that 50% of, of lesions in women old, over the age of 50 and 71 or more uh, percent of lesions in women under 50 are found by the woman with an exam. So I think it is important that we at least from my personal standpoint, that we at least talk to them about that self-awareness.
1: Well, I I practice very similarly, especially if I'm starting an oral contraceptive. I teach a self-breast exam, and I tell them it's their responsibility that they're gonna be better than any test we can do. And I recommend the week after their menses to go ahead and do the exam. And I do start screening, or at least having a discussion with women in their mid to late forties about when to initiate mammography but I encourage them that unless they're at high risk to try to wait till age 50. Well, I thank the both of you for this really timely and important discussion, and I'm sure we're gonna come back to revisit it again in the not too distant future. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Frank. Practice pointer. The ACOG, US Preventive Services Task Force, and the American Cancer Society's recommendations on breast cancer prevention through screening have some differences, but for the most part, many similarities. The most important thing that all agree upon is an informed consent discussion that's very patient-focused on the risks and benefits of screening. Keep in mind the risk factors that are commonly associated with making a woman high risk for breast cancer. Nulliparity, not breastfeeding, high body mass index, alcohol consumption, tobacco abuse, and possibly having dense breasts or being of African-American descent, which may be related to access to health care. Join us next week as we investigate headache, especially migraine, and talk about new treatments. Thank you
0: for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by Primed. For more information about the article referenced in today's episode, look under the Resources section of the episode landing page. Need help reaching your CME credit goal this year? If so, please browse the more than 300 free CME accredited activities now available on primed.com. We want to keep making this podcast better with every episode, so we need your feedback. Tell us what you think by submitting your feedback via iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or log into Primed.com and submit your feedback at the bottom of the episode landing page. Thank you again for listening.